Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Pay Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Spectrum Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ugh. Headline, what? It was the Carolina part, uh, the Spectrum part, not the Carolina part that I was reacting to. Oh, what's, what's the Spectrum? Here. Is That's, it, that is one of the giant cable internet conglomerates that, unfortunately, I have to deal with living in Cincinnati, Ohio. So, uh, you know, uh, it's like if they called it the, uh, I don't know, who's your who's your internet provider? We're, we're Xfinity Comcast out here. Yeah, the Xfinity Center. Wouldn't you be like, oh. Yeah, no. It's I've true. dealt with these people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Try to buy tickets, spend 45 minutes on hold, only to get routed to... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> R- routed to a new... Pr- a-, 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 a tech who has, like, no I- idea what your account is or anything like that. Uh-huh. What Presumably game is... What, what game is going on that week that telling yeah. you that there's, there are no games... To, to buy tickets to, or there are no concerts to buy tickets to. Presumably, you uh, you buy tickets for the Spectrum Center, and then as you're watching, the, the the live fight is inexplicably blurry and keeps freezing. Yeah, yeah. No. Sounds right. Actually, that might be kind of a bonus with the. the I was going to say that that might that might just be Jairzinho Rosenstrike. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps freezing. He's stuck. Heavyweights and heavyweights, they could use a little Vaseline on the lens, you know. <laughs> let's just knock down this. Let's knock this down to three forty, uh, you know, <laughs> VHS quality stream here. <laughs> yeah, I would probably enjoy Rosenstrike more with some scan lines running across the image. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we've got this UFC on ABC card, and um, it's kind of sad because I think, I mean, they kind of had to try for this. Did they? Did any of this have to happen? No, no, no. I mean, but, like, you get the – when they made this card – I think the UFC thinks that this is what a good fight night card looks like. <laughs> well, clearly, what heavyweights in there? They even got the a normal main event star, Anthony Smith, right? in the co-main slot. I mean, yeah, you're this putting shit in is Smith stacked. In a exactly. This is loaded. But cuz it's on ABC, it's not an ESPN plus. Oh my filler. God, that is embarrassing. No, th- but this is clearly, we've seen that. How many times? How much have we been complaining about it? Like, it's not that they just don't, it's not that they just don't care and are putting together dog shit cards. Like, that's part of it. But they also think that all of these awful main events are good. 
that this yeah. is what the fans want. Man, maybe I mean, they're right. I don't know. A lot. Well, a lot of the main events have been good, but they are hitting hard times lately. We've also had plenty earlier in the year, plenty yeah. of heavyweight and light heavyweight bullshit. And the end it, of last year was like all light heavyweights and middleweights, and it all sucked. It, it's true. But, uh, you know, because this is an ABC card and it's not the Apex. So, oh, Lord, this is, I think, you know, this must have been on initial review a card that they were trying to really make good on. Probably the only reason that it is, I mean, probably part of the reason that it's maybe not so good still is that it's in the morning. Yeah. Because that was like, I guess that must have been the only slot they could secure on ABC. I don't know. Like the midday slot. I'm not really, I guess I'm not really sure what this card is meant to meet because at least with the Apex, if you get a if you put if you put like Fight Night Dern Hill together for next week, yeah, I know exactly what you do. Like you've got filler fights in a filler setting. Sure, you know we've learned to ignore it at this point. That's fine. Yeah, here here's a here's UFC on Fox 15. So this isn't like the flagship of that last uh, broadcast deal. Yeah, UFC on Fox 15. Here's the card: Luke Rockhold, Leota Machida. Jacare Souza, Chris Camozzi, Max Holloway, Cub Swanson, Paige Van Zandt, Felice Herrick, Benil Dariush, Jim Miller, Ovin St. Prue, Patrick Cummins, John Vellante, Corey Anderson, Aljamain Sterling, Takeya Mizugaki, Tim Means, George Sullivan, Diego Brandau, Jimmy Hedis, all the way down to the early prelims. Are, and then Eddie Gordon, who was like a tough finalist or a tough winner. Literally all the way down to the prelims are like notable fighters. Well, we did. Tim Means is still here. Yeah, <laughs> we've got Tim Means. And uh, you know, Ian Gary is—he's a prospect on the rise. They, sure. I, I, yeah, I've seen I worse they, cards. It's just I think this. they tried. It's just you know, <sighs> the main event just is not inspired. No. And the co-main does not feel all that inspired so the fact that like you know we get like cody stamen versus douglas da silva uh and a gay green fight in there and alex morono versus tim means fights that we would maybe be yeah otherwise interested in like there's nothing on top of it it is just prelims you know i was gonna say that those Fox cards felt like a sort of step between the a fight night and a pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, sometimes closer to a pay-per-view. Some of those lineups were really great. Yeah. They were trying to swing for the fences. Uh, and, but I guess this is that. That's what I'm saying. Is it like this card is, I think, an attempt by the UFC to put on a good card right now. Yeah, because there's more fighters I've never heard of and don't care about on the average pay-per-view than they're, they're, they're kind of are on this. Yeah. So, but it's just it doesn't have fights at the top that anybody cares about. So you, it, it feels that much less interesting. Yeah. When like, you know, we look at uh, let me see, let me get back here to the UFC events. When you're looking at like Song Simone, if it had that at this that fight at the top, yeah, or Holloway versus Allen, or sure. Vera versus Sandhagen. Or Probably. Jan versus Davalashvili. These are the last few 
fight night headliners. Yeah, they've all been great main events. And then they had bad cards under them, but this is just an okay card with nothing at the top. You're absolutely right. Yes. The undercard here, there's more highlights than there were on like the Song Simone card, for sure. Yep. And it's it's just that, I mean, okay, we can break down. Let's let's jump into the headliner, Jairzino Rosenstreich versus Jailton Almeida. Yeah. How many minutes do you want to spend on this? Because two might be t- one too many. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, is Rosenstreich going to stand there and or run at Jailton Almeida alternately with huge punches and knock him out? Or is he far more likely going to get taken down and completely worked on the ground? Because the few glimpses we've gotten of his grappling um, are not flattering. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's (laughs) bad. He is genuinely clueless off of his back. At least the last time we saw him there, he was. Yeah, and that was uh, two years ago, I guess. I mean, two years is time to... Yeah, I doubt it. He's a heavyweight. Yeah, I doubt it, too. He's a um, lifelong kickboxer, and heavyweight doesn't ask questions yeah. of grappling. You know, there's a reason that Jelton Almeida, a guy who used to come in at a, like, I think he, he what, what did he make his debut at in the UFC? Light heavyweight. No, no, no. He Well, yeah, I know he made his debut at light heavyweight, but uh, let me just pull up capology. Jailton Almeida. You're looking for his actual weight? Yeah, actual weight. Tap he was 205. For his fight with uh, Danilo Marquez? No, he's 203. He came in at 203 for his debut. Where does it say that? Oh, I see. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he and, made it in at 224 for his first heavyweight fight. And... There's a reason that a man who weighs 200 and who weighed 203 pounds and could probably make 185 at that point, uh, is just wrecking shop at heavyweight. Yeah, because he's and good. It's because he's good, and the standard heavyweight does not grapple. It's just the division does not ask heavyweights to grapple. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know how Jalton Almeida fights. You know how Rosenstrike fights. Jalton Almeida is going to win. Yeah, that's, that's about it. it. I mean, if he doesn't, it'll be because Rosenstrike got one opportunity and made it count for everything it was worth. Yep. Because we've also seen from Almeida, if he gets him down, if he gets you down once, he will he will hurt you enough and make that awful enough. That yes, that will that will change everything about the fight. There's not going to be a oh it, yeah he got me down in the first round, but in the second round I'm coming back. It's going to be he got me down in the first round and punished me so thoroughly that I'm now exhausted and ready to just quit on this. Mm-hmm. So I mean, what is his as a guy who pretty much only grapples? What is his finishing percentage? It's got to be remarkably high. Um, just scanning has, topology. I don't he's, think he's never been to decision <laughs> except for one loss to Bruno Assis in 2018. Yeah. So full on grappler breaks everybody and finishes everybody. Yeah. Yep. It's don't see a reason to pick Rosenstrike there. Yep. It's just very difficult. Uh-huh. 
And like I said, that kind of makes the whole card, you know. That's what you're looking forward to. That's that's the that's the, yeah. the disappointing part. That because you know at least when we start off with Song Simone, we're both starting off just like, man, I don't know. Yeah, right. I don't know what's gonna happen. I think Ricky Simone can do this, but Song Yudong is incredibly dangerous and incredibly athletic, and in ter- in fact, athletic enough to just shut Ricky Simone out. You know, yeah. shut down his wrestling completely. And, uh, yeah, you were just like, well, eh, yeah, I mean, it's going to walk through him. And that's pretty much it. And if he doesn't, then it'll only just be because Rosenstrike got one opportunity to hit him really hard and made it count. Uh, Rosenstrike end opened at about plus 400 and is currently at uh, plus 397. So, and... Uh, Almeida opened at minus 520 and is currently at minus 500. So odds are getting a tiny bit closer, but uh, I don't yeah. expect people, I don't expect a bunch of cash to come in on Jersey and her Rosenstrike. Um, yeah. Might be the least interesting 2 2 outcome like dynamic we've talked about in a very long time. Yeah, I mean, because it, it really just feels like one true outcome. And yeah. often the, the that two, is a very interesting sort of fight to talk about. Yeah, because usually it's a, like a two true outcome means the opponent has a core flaw in the other person's strength right. that could be dramatically exploited. So, you know, we're talking about, uh, I don't know, let's see, what's a good recent example of that? Um, on Gracie Charles Rodin. Yeah, we're talking about Kron, Gracie, Charles Jordan, and we know that Char- Charles Jordan always gets taken down. Always. So when you're talking two true outcomes and you're talking Charles Jordan always gets taken down and also almost never gets submitted, then you have a very interesting m- option for Kron Gracie there. You know, mm-hmm. then you're thinking about, okay. How does Kron Gracie do after four years off? Does he come back? Does he have a wrestling game where he can get Jordan down once? <laughs> Turns out no. No. No, but we and don't he know. He also no longer has a striking game. And he also no longer has a striking and game. And also apparently no longer has any shame. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to talk about, it was an interesting fight to preview. But, but yeah, it, to talk about it, it offers interesting hypotheticals. This does not offer those hypotheticals. We know Rosenstrike is not a good wrestler and not a good grappler. And we know Jailton Almeida, like, I was watching the prep for this, and you go out, you watch Jailton Almeida's fight with Shamil Abdurakhimov, and Almeida just, they trade like two punches. And then Almeida just swims in for a low single to double leg. And like how that is exactly the kind of thing that I cannot imagine Rosenstrike defending (laughs) at all. (laughs) Just like somebody reaching down and grabbing his ankles. I, you know, you, yeah, you push him up to the cage. If it was a push you to the cage in the clinch and then just try to like, drag you down. I could see Rosenstrike surviving that a little bit, maybe bouncing back up his feet against the cage. 
just somebody grabbing one of his completely stiff ankles. And just, just if Rosenstrike got hit with like the Yoel Romero ankle pick, he would literally do a full back. He might end up on his feet again. He's <laughs> just, so stiff. He would do an entire backflip. Yeah. It just seems like the worst possible kind of takedown setup for him to face. Because I also can't imagine he ever faces it. You know, heavyweights, once again, they don't shoot like that. They don't shoot like that because for most most of them who aren't very good grapplers, shooting like that becomes incredibly dangerous. Yeah. We have already spent too long talking about this. Yeah. And we spent m- much of that time talking about how uninteresting it is. So let's move on to the co-main, shall yeah, we? Yeah, let's move on to the co-main. Heavyweight, light heavyweight bout, Anthony Smith, Johnny Walker. And... Well, let's go back. Let's go back to the main event. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. This one at least has some this has bizarro interest, yes. This has mystery to it because Anthony Smith is a very capable fighter. Mm-hmm. In precisely two kinds of fight. And he can get both of them. But if he doesn't get either. Then he is very capable of falling to pieces. Mm -hmm. And it's always made Anthony Smith a very strange talent. Whether it's at middleweight or light heavyweight. Certainly at light heavyweight these days. I would say Smith is a more confident, comfortable, and complete striker from distance than ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Partially, I think that that's just the division uh, downgrade around him in technical quality. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you give Anthony Smith open space to work in, and he will land hard shots. He will show consistent form. And most of his opponents, certainly not Johnny Walker at all, don't work at a pace that immediately opens up the defensive flaws in Anthony Smith's game striking. You know, we mm-hmm. when's the last time we saw Anthony Smith really get boxed up standing at light heavyweight, like out of the gate, just like, oh, he can't hang with this guy. Yeah, no, Glover broke him down and started outboxing him. Yeah, and, and but it, before that, Smith right. was beating Glover's ass. For sure. Rakic out-wrestled him. Yeah, it's, it's not even really that Jones, like, I guess it would be John Jones is the closest to somebody just cleanly outstriking him from the jump. Yeah, like even on Kaliyev, they were just 50-50 for a while until they started clinching up and wrestling. And that is uh, the other area where Smith can either, like, he can either get exactly the game that works and that he wants because light heavyweights don't grapple, or he just gets totally blown out of the water. Mm -hmm. Is that if if Anthony Smith has the wrestling advantage on you, if he has a a clear wrestling and grappling edge, then he will absolutely wreck you from top control or, you know, with a submission attack. He is a very capable attacking uh, grappler and wrestler from on top. 
but as a somebody who apparently who never really seemed to have I don't think he ever wrestled growing up like uh yeah as somebody who didn't wrestle growing up the technical drive to his wrestling game is essentially nil or the physical drive to his wrestling game is essentially nil <clears throat> yeah and that is a huge problem for him at light heavyweight because everybody is really big and powerful and so if he clinches up or connects with somebody and tries to take them down and he just doesn't get the hip drive doesn't get the leg drive on the shot initially he just folds under people yeah and he tends to gas too because he yeah he has to muscle a lot of things including some of his striking yeah and so like i said that you know there's top control anthony smith and there's distance anthony anthony smith both of those are very capable but everywhere else is very destructible and that makes a fight with Johnny Walker really weird because Walker is an absolute giant who has slowly been destroying all of the things that he was good at in MMA mm-hmm. and is still incredibly dangerous. Yeah, he's still Johnny Walker. He just doesn't yeah. like seem to know it every, every time. Ah. <sighs> And yeah, I have no idea how, what that, I I think, I feel like I need to take Anthony Smith here. You know what? I kind of have this, I kind of have this sinking feeling that Anthony Smith is going to be really uncomfortable fighting somebody as huge as Johnny Walker. Yeah, that's my problem is that I just get this feeling that it, we're going to get maybe a little of the John Jones effect where yeah. Jones didn't even look that good against Anthony Smith. It's he looked Anthony, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony Smith had no desire to test himself against Jones whatsoever. Yeah. Walker is, according to topology, two inches taller. And has a reach advantage of uh, six inches. Yeah. He is um, just a giant. He's massive. And, uh, yeah, something about the, the ways that I have seen Anthony Smith gas, the timidity that he showed. Like, he he actually had, which is why I hesitated when I named John Jones before as the last guy to outstrike him. He actually had tons of success on the feet against Jones. Yeah. He was landing low kicks really well. He was landing his jabs. Um, like, he was actually scoring clean on Jones with, with great consistency, but he he was massively uncomfortable the entire time. Yeah, like I said. And I, it started to cost him. Like, he, he just started to gasp before uh, Jones really did anything to, like, completely turn the fight around. He just drifted out of the fight. Yeah. And that, but and that's the thing is that like when Anthony when some when things go wrong for Anthony Smith, I mean, in, in some ways it's a bit like Johnny Walker in the same mm-hmm. way where it's like when things go wrong for Anthony Smith, they tend to get catastrophic in a hurry. Yes. And yeah, you might be right. It's just. Man, Walker is one of those dudes who 
If ever there's somebody that can just get taken out of their game by a fighter that's very slightly technical and consistent. Yeah. It's Johnny Walker. Yeah. The funny thing is, is like, remember Anthony Smith kind of like made his name as a light heavyweight with comeback wins. Mm -hmm. But they were more like he was he just couldn't do anything to start. And the they were against opponents who who literally self-destruct almost every fight. Yeah. Andrew Sanchez and Hector Lombard, I believe, were the two third-round knockouts he got. Yeah, that was Sanchez. They, those were both at middleweight, yeah. Uh, oh, were they? That, yeah. yeah. And then there, there was Ustamir, I suppose. Yeah. It was just kind of close until Ustamir collapsed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that could happen. I don't know. I think the, the only real advantage of this new version of Johnny Walker is that he doesn't collapse because he doesn't do them enough. Like... Maybe that changes if he goes out there and actually tries to mix it up. Maybe Smith lands jabs and low kicks and makes Walker fight him. I, I, I do. I do. Smith will try to shoot on him. That and the sounds, question is, yeah. does he take Johnny Walker down? Because it's not like Walker is a great has any defensive wrestling really. Yeah. Or does he run into Walker's hips, realize that he was he's not built for this? Yeah. And just fold under Walker like a lawn chair and get deaded. Yeah, I don't think his offensive wrestling is all that much better than Walker's defensive wrestling, and Walker is bigger. Yeah. Um, and we have seen Walker like get taken down and just like bench press sweep people. And Walker with that size is a real fearsome beast when he's on top of somebody. Oh yeah. Oh. Um yeah, I just have I just have a sort of Ryan Bader feeling about Anthony Smith in this fight. I just don't think he I think he the only time I've ever seen him comfortable or like in the early rounds against Glover when he just has a demonstrable reach advantage and he can just touch the opponent from safety. And even that can be taken away, but it's a hard battle to take it away. Um, People who just like loom over Anthony Smith somehow just seem to be able to bully him. I mean, this is normal. That's that's how I am. Anytime I've ever sparred somebody like way bigger than me, it sucks. But some people cope with it well. Some people are Daniel Cormier. Yeah. And some people are Anthony Smith. And I, I don't think... I think Smith is too used to having his own reach advantage to be comfortable uh, in that in that scenario. So I'm, I'm kind of leaning Johnny Walker here. I don't he even did. see like a super clear path to victory. I just think Smith is going to freak out. He did beat Ryan Spawn, and Spawn is about the same size as Walker. That's true. Height and reach. But uh, Spawn also uh, couldn't beat Johnny Walker. Yeah, Spawn is terrible in an entirely unique way. Yeah. I will... You pick whoever you want. I just this is really I a don't. vibe, a vibe pick for it, me. It, it it has to be a vibe pick. It yeah, really does. <laughs> That's true. No, this careful game game planning, and I'm I'm breaking down the strategies these two geniuses are going to employ. You know what? I will I will stick with Anthony Smith just because I Johnny Walker at SBG Ireland just feels like the worst idea I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. And the continuation of that idea is fills me with no hope whatsoever. So, yeah, but Hey, he has the, uh, he does have the one thing that has ever allowed John Cavanaugh to produce a quality fighter. 
which insane is, amounts of athletic natural yeah, athletic he, gifts. He, <laughs> he is a very very natural athlete. So yeah, somebody who brings all of the tools already to yeah. the table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yep. <sighs> okay, I. <laughs> <laughs> I am struggling with this. Like, I just don't want to pick Johnny Walker, but don't just stick with Anthony yeah, Smith. Okay. You already I'll made take, up your mind. I'll take Anthony Smith. It, yeah, the, I'm probably wrong. I mean, the lines are dead even. They opened at minus ten, jumped up to to plus one. Smith jumped up to plus one fifteen. Is right back down at minus one ten, and Johnny Walker opened at uh, basically dead even. Like. Or mm-hmm. no, minus, he opened at minus one ten too, jumped up and down, up, up to minus one hundred, as low as minus one twenty six, and is right back at minus one ten. So they are absolutely dead even at minus one ten across the board. That brings us to a welterweight bout: Daniel Rodriguez, Ian Gary, and is this? Finally, the moment where Gary gets his long-awaited comeuppance for uh, being a totally reasonable fighter doing his best. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it's certainly a good matchup, though, because it forces yeah. you to ask that question. Yeah. Like, I, both... there's, I, there's nothing wrong with Ian Gary, but there's just something about, like, you know, he came in with a little bit of hype. I think it's just because uh, the Northern Europe MMA scene is so desperate to find their next golden boy that all the fighters that come out of that, that area just get this sort of like, oh, we've pinned our hopes on this man. He's going to... And Gary, I think Gary even, like, he came out with, like, a, I'm going to... I want to be Conor McGregor kind of shtick, didn't he? Oh, he still does the Conor McGregor shtick. I'm pretty sure he says, yeah, like, 50 G's baby and does the Vince Yeah, he really walk. actually just wants to be a clone. Yeah, no, he totally mimics. Yeah, which um, is yeah. to his own detriment. Um, yeah, it's nothing to do with his fighting skill. I mean... No. But there's nothing um, actually wrong with the way he fights at all, or like no, with I, I think you towards fighting at all. It's just kind of one of those things where you're like, you deserve your come up and you know, I, I don't know. Why. I don't feel that way. This is once yeah. again, Zane, you're letting the fans um the fans no, no, this dic- is nothing to dictate do with fans. your This is nothing to do with fans. This is whole his whole like I want to be Conor McGregor thing, and I'm just like, okay, I don't I don't want to watch that. Yeah, it seems to me like a perfectly natural thing for a young athlete to yeah. idolize, like, the yeah. biggest star in the world. It does. I sh- you know what? It does. It does. It's just, a, it's it's particularly embarrassing because, like, all the boxers who are like, I want to be Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. They don't, they don't like, crib Floyd's lines. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? They talk about him. They praise him. But they're not, like, going up there. I don't even know. I don't know that Floyd Mayweather is sharp enough to have any quotables. But... They're not up there like trying to act like Floyd. Well, beyond some Davis of them, like does does assault his spouse. That's true. So some inspiration at work there. Yeah, but um, yeah, like those boxing proteges are they like are their own people? MMA proteges yeah. just like <laughs> copy, which is extra embarrassing. I don't yeah. pay attention to it. I mean, sure. 
it, it's uh, fair. I, it's just I'm I'm just trying to grapple with my innate gut reaction to Ian Gary. Yeah, I and, get it. Because I like actually watching him fight. I'm like, you know what? You're working on all the right things. And I, I think he's very good and a very yeah. promising young fighter, for sure. So every time, why am I like every time I see him in a new matchup being like, is this where you get shown up? You're finally going to get it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's fair. He's, he could be annoying. I, I, doesn't, I, I almost find I him endearing. I, I almost find him endearing because he doesn't. Yeah. Um, I think he's 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 literally just cribbing lines because he isn't Conor McGregor. Like, yeah, he can't naturally uh, exude Conor McGregor-ness. No, he doesn't have any of the bravado. No, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to. He seems honestly like a pretty nice guy. Yeah, I don't know. This is just a gut read. I don't know. He's probably an asshole, but he just seems like a pretty nice, normal dude. Yeah, let's never bet on fighters being nice guys. No. No, no, no. You no. know, it, 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 most of them really do honestly enjoy hurting other people. It's why yeah. they're hurting other people for money. Yeah. Well, you know, I think most people are capable of enjoying that, if I'm honest. But sure, sure. But it, it always is funny to me. Like you hear, you know, Daniel Cormier being all like charming and genial and all that. And then, like, I was listening to a fight recently where somebody was like asking, oh, you know, you got challenged to like some hockey, like, you know, fight some guy on ice skates in a hockey rink or something. And Cormier was like, I would beat that man to death with a skate. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just competition though. I mean, every, every sporting competition has that element of dominating another person. It's just less metaphorical in MMA. Yeah, in MMA. You're just literally doing it. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, I think this is a, I, I, I really think they have, uh, matched Ian Gary quite well so yeah. far. He has been he has faced a number of tests, even fights that didn't look like much of a test. Like he got caught by Song Kinan in the first round. Yeah, he had to rally really hard, and that was a great show of his own like mental. Exactly. Fortitude. Yeah, Did he so, get rocked that bad and just go right back to his game. Yeah, really great um, uh, recuperation and discipline and poise in in a difficult situation where certainly he didn't expect Sankinan to rock him. Neither did we. His corner work for that fight too yep. was so good. Yeah, like. He got, you know, his corner come back. He's like, what are you, what are you fighting behind? And he's like the jab. <laughs> Sorry. I got a little excited there. And like, that's okay. Just, you know, go back to working your jab. Look for this. Watch for, you know, it's just like, I still is, love you. Yeah. Yeah. Wolf is over there tapping his foot with his arms crossed and they had another cornerman to, you know, <laughs> be mom. <laughs> To be mom, yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, Gary will end up resenting the mom cornerman for not doing more to stop <laughs> Daddy Hooft from <laughs> verbally abusing him. No, Ian Gary is a very coachable fighter. He is with a a coach who schools his fighters very well, and he seems um, super capable and willing of absorbing that advice. I like yeah. his game a lot. He really relies on basics, straight punches. Uh, building simple combinations, but with a lot of variations, throwing in feints, mixing up the order of uh, the order of output. You know, sometimes it's mm -hmm. a one-one-two, sometimes it's a one and a double right hand. Um, you know, mixing in body shots, and a fighter who is even after facing early difficulty, really good at building his offense over the course of the fight. Yeah, 
Um, I think he's a super promising fighter, and obviously he can take a shot and has enough resilience to not just fold. Yep. Um, and in fact, more than that, I mean, he didn't come close to folding. He responded remarkably well to getting hurt uh, yeah. by Sankinan. And uh, I, yeah, I think basically the fact that he can get tagged, um, that he can get a little overconfident and have to check himself, um, and that we have said this entire time that he's been in the UFC, that really the thing that needs the most work, because he's been a sharp offensive fighter from day one, really. Yeah, yeah. He's always been dangerous and rangy and a hard fighter to deal with. Yeah, he just has very, he built, he, he built and relied on very simple tools of straight punches and yeah, he's long got, kicks. He's got long reach and he puts his strikes to combinations together really well. He's yeah. been doing that. The thing we've said is his shortcoming is his defense, which is... Mm -hmm. Not atypical for a young fighter, but um, and Gary at least you know thinks about defense. Yeah, he does move his head. He comes back off of it with counters, like he he grasps the basic idea of striking defense. But what that constitutes is pretty much just leaning straight back. Yeah, it's still it's still a work in progress. Yeah, and so against a fighter like Daniel Rodriguez. Who, there are a lot of opportunities for uh, for D Rod to find counters mid combination, mm -hmm. um, and he I think could that... absolutely do what Song Kinan did and yes. do it with great consistency that Song Kinan does not have. Exactly. Yeah, he is a three round fighter um, for sure, and I would say that the the sort of advantages why this still feels like a reasonable matchup, a test that Gary is capable of passing, is that. Daniel Rodriguez is remarkably slow. Mm -hmm. um, he does not tend to start finding those counters as early. Uh, in fact, a lot of early phases of fights for, for Rodriguez, he is like, he looks like a much cruder puncher than he is. Yeah. He would just swing these big goofy looking meat hooks that look more comical because he's not fast. Um, anytime he loads up, he like reduces his already unimpressive speed by 50%. Mm-hmm. But um, he is a fighter who settles into the fight. I think the concern for him should be that he doesn't let Gary get on a roll too quickly that he can't get back in. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's a real concern because Gary will he'll get caught early, but he will also start very fast. Yep. He starts fast and he builds really well. Yeah. Um, the other thing, though, is the southpaw question. Mm-hmm. Gary is a super jab-dependent fighter. He did keep his jab going against Gabe Green to a reasonable degree. Gabe Green is about a head and a half shorter than him. Yeah. Um, Rodriguez is much closer to his size. Rodriguez also a southpaw who himself has an excellent jab. It is almost certainly Rodriguez's best punch. He has a fantastic right jab. Yeah. Um, I think that is going to be a really interesting battle here that may very well help Rodriguez make up some of the pretty obvious speed discrepancy. Um, but I'm going to pick Gary. I think he's faster. Yeah. He moves his feet well. Uh, he has yet to lose a fight simply because somebody lands a counter on him. Um, and he's a pretty consistently high output fighter who builds and builds and builds as the fight goes on. I think Rodriguez is going to spend more time than he would like trying to track Gary down. Yeah, that Magni fight for him was yeah, it was not it, it was troubling for yeah. Rodriguez's ability to compete at the top level because right. he really struggled to catch up to Magni. 
Yeah, I think he is going to find his moments here when Gary comes to him and when Gary tries to build on him. Yeah. I think he, he's definitely going to surprise Gary. He's probably going to hurt him. Yep. At some point, uh, if not more than one point. But uh, I think uh, this looks like a fight where Gary is just going to have the consistency of work. There's going to be a lot of targets to pick from. He's going to make Rodriguez think more about defense than he would like because he is going to be prodding him from every angle and, and every target. Uh, while moving his feet, while making him reset his much slower feet. I'm taking Gary still. But once again, could be that prospect loss. Yeah, could be, could be. I, I think one of the other big things that has me leaning Gary here is that he is an exceptional low kicker. Yeah. Really exceptional. Rodriguez does not put any emphasis on his offense or his defense below the waist, really. Yeah, he's very, very much little. a boxer. And you look at Rod, you look at D Rod's career to date, and it's pretty much devoid of really good kickers. Mm-hmm. It's a problem he hasn't had to face. Mm-hmm. You know, let me see what he what did he go up against with Magni in that. I, I want to make sure I'm not just, you know, immediately lying to myself. But, uh... That was a lot of jabs and clinch fighting. Yeah, Magni threw three kicks that whole fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Li Jingliang... Li Jingyang did actually throw a, a fair number uh, all three rounds, but that's also a fight that Rodriguez almost lost, and a lot mm-hmm. of people thought he did lose. Hey, I did. I thought he lost it. Yeah, and it uh, it's also worth noting that while Li Jingliang threw a lot of kicks in that fight, he also landed uh, 30 of 38 that he threw. Yeah. So every and time then, he threw one, it worked. Yeah. And the main reason that the Leech won that fight, I thought, it was the speed. Keep in mind, yeah. that was a fight where neither guy was prepared for the other at all. That was yeah. one of those short-notice shuffle-ups with the uh, Chimaev uh, debacle. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, the Leech was way faster, and it, it took Rodriguez until the third round to figure out how to track him down. And he definitely was winning by the very end, but it took him ages to get there. Yeah. And so, but that is interesting. I mean, I, I, to see Gary against somebody who's capable of fighting their best round of the fight in the third is itself. Yeah. A very interesting thing that we have not seen Gary pitted against before somebody who doesn't go away, who continues gathering information, even as you feel you grow more and more confident knowing that you're winning and going to keep winning. Um, yeah, I, I'm very curious to see the third round here. I think it's a great matchup. And yeah, it is a great matchup. It's a great test. It's a great next step for Gary. And yeah, I just have to pick him because I think he can it, he can get off to a fast start kicking Rodriguez's legs, yeah, in a way that will build the kind of damage that just becomes very hard to shake off yeah. as the fight goes on. Yep. So if it were just put, about put jab, water Gary in the basement, the jab, yeah. If it as, just if it just were about working the jab, I would be a lot less sure about Gary being able to build the lead and hold it. But yeah. Putting water in the basement as one of my favorite confusing Teddy Atlas metaphors goes. 
<laughs> I do actually like that. That's a pretty yeah. Good. He says that when people want boxers work the body, putting water in his basement. I'm like okay, <laughs> uh, you know sure. what? I like the idea. It's like a you know a slow leak yeah. of a, a, a slow building amount of damage that you wouldn't notice. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're not going to your basement, you're not going to notice that there's a leak down there, right. but it could ruin the whole uh, house. That's right. That's yeah. the idea. I, I like it. I like it. Uh, odds on the bout. Gary is the favorite here. Opened at minus 220 or so and is currently down at minus 270. Rodriguez opened at plus 200 and is currently up at plus 230. So odds getting wider there. Um, you know, I, I I would not probably say they should get too, too wide. Rodriguez is has proven himself a very difficult fighter, difficult to hurt, mm-hmm. difficult to get out of there. And like I say, you look at that song Keenan fight, if Gary has that moment again against Rodriguez, mm-hmm. Rodriguez will not go grab a body lock on Ian Gary no. and start foot stomping him Yeah, the way no. Song Kinan did. No, he will try to knock him out. Yeah, he will reset and he will keep Gary in the pocket. He won't even try to knock him out like crazily. He will just yeah. like, yeah, go back in the zone and think about the shot he just hurt you with and try to work off of that. Yeah, he is yeah. a much better finishing striker in that kind of exchange and very capable of handling people in volume mm-hmm. over multiple rounds. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Zane, what's a uh, dentist's favorite betting line? What? Plus 230. Oh, <laughs> 230. <laughs> Two, uh, you said the number. 230 is a phrase that I cannot hear without thinking of the dad joke, much in the way I can't hear the phrase, I'm afraid not, without thinking of the joke. Yeah, I always just think of Tuscaloosa. You're so old. No one knows what that is. I know, I know. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Or also, you know, Jakarta, but that's like the classic old British version. Jakarta? Yeah. What's the joke? My wife and I were vacationing in in, in Indonesia, Jakarta. No, we took the train. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah. I don't know what Jakarta is in Indonesia. I I can't remember where it actually is. I think it might be. Malaysia, Indonesia. It's it's a city-state in Civ 6. That's all I know. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah, it is the capital of Indonesia. Hey, look at me knowing things. Way to go. All right, light heavyweight bout, Carlos Olberg, Ihor Potieria. And, uh, man, they did not they did not appreciate uh, Ihor, their uh, taking out Shogun. They really, mm. the UFC was really like, oh, yeah, we're, we found a guy for Shogun to beat and ride off into the sunset on. And Yeah, uh, I doubt it has anything to do with that. <laughs> I know. They just don't care. They just don't care. Yeah. It was a rough time for Potieria. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, he didn't even get a good response. Like, nobody liked it. Oh, no. It was terrible. And he was just out there hyped. Like, it's a big win for him. I felt yeah. for the guy. Like, yeah. it's not his fault that they, Shogun kept fighting into his late 70s. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, they, this is not a uh, 
super kind matchup to Potieria, especially given the fact that Olberg seems to have um, kind of figured his game out after that prospect loss. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the main thing. And he calmed down, and then he overcalmed. Yeah. And then he's now like found the midpoint where he's just incredibly dangerous. Yeah, there's still every possibility that um, he fights exactly like like he has been in these last two. Mm-hmm. And there comes a turning point where the opponent hasn't gone away and he freaks out and gasses exactly as he did against Nzechikwu. But yep. uh, like people don't tend to change that dramatically. Yeah. But I doubt he will, will willfully collapse. That very much was a prospect loss where uh, like... Um, What's his name? The young, the young kid who lost a couple weeks ago. Oh, Rosas. Uh, Raul, Raul Rosas. Yeah. Uh, like him, just like boiling over with, with overconfidence. Yeah. Just uh, absolutely sure that nobody can withstand the thing that you're good at. So you go right. out there, you just pour it on and pour it on right. and pour it on. And the person's still there. And suddenly you realize that you had no backup plan. Yeah. We're not seeing at least such a brazen Olberg anymore. Yeah. And that, that's a very good thing for him because already he had a pretty nice skill set to grow on. Mm-hmm. Very similar to, to Ian Gary in a yeah. lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Good low kicker, straight punches, really good counter puncher, very comfortable moving backwards. And... Uh, that just seems like terrible for Potieria, who really bases all of his game around wild pressure pushing forwards. Yeah. And you not being able to handle him coming after you. Yeah. And he doesn't have any answer to kicks. And Olberg, also much like Gary, is just a really good low kicker who will jump on that from from the first from moment go so yeah i just it's just a bad matchup for potieria he could win it he could be hard headed enough to just run after uh olberg until olberg you know breaks down or trips over the cage or you know some mistaken footwork or something like that mhm but you know, I mean, I, this just feels like it's going to be a lot like the Nikolai Negamarianu fight, which Potieria wasn't ready for when he faced that. And Olberg, when he faced Negamarianu, was just like, okay, I kicked your legs four times. You're no longer stable at all, and you're going to have to rush me in the night. Here's a huge counter. and Right. I, yeah, I would say Potieria feels more like a parallel for Negamarianu in this yeah. matchup. Like he's That's just going to have to fly at Olberg and... Um, not going to do it with any like cage cutting footwork, certainly not with any defense. A certain level of that kind of style would definitely be the idea, I think, to make mm-hmm. Olberg uncomfortable and yeah, get bring him out a trip over the fence. At some point, he would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And bring out those old worst tendencies, make him overthrow, yep. make him tense up, freak him out. And uh, but you have to like that's not just a. Uh, that is a style, you know, pressure fighting and yeah. swarming. It's not just as simple as running at the guy. And that yep. is closer, I think, to what Potieri is capable of doing. It really is. So, yeah, so, yeah. just feels Olberg. like a fight. Olberg and odds on the fight agree. 
Olberg opened at minus 261, is currently at minus 383. Guess who's the backbone of everybody's parlay this week? Mm-hmm. Potieria opened at plus 226 and is currently at plus 315. All right. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Alex Morono, Tim Means, and uh, yes, it's a good fight. You know? This is a good fight, too. This makes a lot of sense for where Tim Means is at right now. It'll be sad when Alex Morono beats him. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I feel, too. Yeah, I just think, you know, Tim Means has had an extremely long and extremely impressive career. Uh, the man made his pro debut in 2004. Yeah. This is his 19th year as a professional MMA fighter. Absurd. That is absolutely crazy. And as would be expected, um, he is just not the guy he used to be. He still doesn't look bad is the thing. Like, at least he has stretches of fighting a lot like Tim Means um, in these fights where you can see, oh, man, his look at how great, he, how smooth his combination punching is. Look at how considered and uh, constantly aware he is uh, of like defensive concerns, always keeping his head moving from one position to another, hiding behind his shoulders and elbows, coming back off of all those defensive moves with counters. But um, for a, a brilliant technician, which Tim Means is, he has a style which even going back multiple years back to the fight with Sergio Moraes in 2018 was getting him into trouble mm-hmm. because Tim means cannot not fight somebody. Yeah. He loves it. It's yeah. everything that and he's it's trying built to in. do. Exactly. It's completely yeah. hardwired into how those beautiful like boxing mechanics work is that, he gets in somebody's face and like tests their offense so that he can find ways of punishing them for it by like making them throw at him and mm-hmm. making them miss. Um, and sometimes they don't miss and sometimes he just marches onto them and he has to get hit to like, he is a, he's a smart fighter, but he is a, uh, a, a warrior. Like he, yeah. he, that that's built into how he fights. He can't he's a, turn he's a down pressure counter puncher. Who's right. Pressure also involves volume. You know, when you th- think about the Henry Cejudo or Conor McGregor style of pressure counter punchers yeah. that march, you know, they're marching forward with something cocked or, uh, well, no, I was going to say Darren Till and then I remember, no, he doesn't counter. <laughs> He's trying. He's trying to learn, but, you know, whatever. But you think mm-hmm. of the McGregor and the Cejudo mm-hmm. and they march people down and they are poised. They're ready to, they're ready to fire back but they're always trying to get you to throw first. Yeah. And it makes them, you know, low output. It, it creates, it creates potential problems for them as fights go on. If they don't yeah. get the, the opportunities that they thought they were going to get, but it's also safer. It also means that they take less damage just from random attack from their opponents. Yeah. Tim means is much more like, you know, I, I don't know that he's much more the kind of fighter you'd you'd want to teach people to be, I feel like, which is just like be you know, pressure, be ready to counter, 
but set up, force your opponent to exchange with you by creating lots of offense in the meantime. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's, there are different they're, styles. They're different, there's, yeah. There's a, there's, there's a lot of value in both of them. There's means a lot of is, Means is, is just, yeah, he much more marches into range and actually forces you to throw at him. Yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah. really, he doesn't have the patience of a, of a counterpuncher. He is more on the pressure fighting side but is a great counterpuncher. Yeah. I think it's also too, maybe also a function of, he just doesn't have the power that somebody like Cejudo or McGregor does where you sure. can sit there and rely on, Oh, if I get one opportunity this round, yeah, I'm going to be able to hurt you really bad means, you know, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that sting. No. He's a perfectly sharp puncher. He's very mm -hmm. accurate and his, his form is really good, but uh, yeah, he's not a naturally heavy-handed fighter. So yeah. anyway, I mean, the only reason Means has been as good as he's been for this long is because of how great he is as a technical fighter, how yeah. how difficult it is to hit him consistently with the same shot multiple times in a fight, um, how well he punishes people for daring to hit him. Mm -hmm. and But this is a style that uh, at a certain point, you know, like any style, I suppose, you lose enough youth and... There's basically there's no safe way. Tim Means has not spent his career developing a safe way to sort of ride out his last years as a professional fighter, no. which and that is what we're seeing. He's 39 years old. He's been fighting for almost 20 years. Um, he just gets hurt a lot now. He just gets hurt a lot now. Yeah, he's he he puts himself into the danger zone because that's what he does, and he he is paying for it now. He can't yep. react quickly enough. His chin isn't as strong as it was. Uh, he's slower. Mm -hmm. And uh, Alex Morono is, um, I mean, he's one of our favorite fighters, honestly. Yeah. Like, there are worse people, I think, to hand uh, a late career Tim Means uh, chunk of scalp to than Alex yeah. Morono because he can be, like, really weird and messy. He's a very awkward technician in a way that Tim Means never was. His, like, knees don't seem to bend right. Alex Morono is the nerd who yeah. taught himself martial arts out of a book. Yeah. With like drawings. Yeah. There's something very awkward and self-taught feeling about the way he moves. And yet is somehow actually still a very dangerous martial artist. Yeah. You know, he's the guy where you see him like doing kata in his backyard with like nunchucks or something. You're like, <laughs> Look at this dork. That doesn't. And then, he, and then he beats your ass. Exactly. <laughs> I heard you. Exactly. <laughs> Terrifying nightmare for many people. It is. That is exactly what Alex Morono feels like in the octagon, where you're just yeah. like, he's got that BJ Penn box. He, he's had. He, he's gotten better at that at least. He used to have that tippy toes BJ Penn he box. He still does stand. to an extent. He's very tall in his stance. Yeah. And then he will just like swing the wildest, weirdest overhand you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And it's just awkward stuff. But it's all built around reasonably good footwork. Yeah. As awkward as that footwork may be, Morono is a guy who does circle a lot. Yeah. He moves laterally with great consistency. He uses those angles. And, he, and it's all because he has a great jab. Yep. And he, just, he thinks a lot about how to fight people. Yeah, and he's and thing. he's super coachable as well. Um, 
So yeah. like he he like any fighter can get off track, can get wrapped up in exchanges he shouldn't be in. There are many occasions in just the last few fights of him going back to the corner and having safe. So it'd be like, you're not supposed to be doing that. Do this. And he goes out there and makes the correction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a thoughtful, considered fighter with like a good building block to uh, attach the the rest of his janky game to in the in the footwork and that great jab. He seems to be a pretty naturally sharp counter puncher. And I think that is going to be the real problem for Tim Means is that he is going to get into a boxing match where he has to kind of keep resetting to track the the laterally moving Morono down. He's going to get opened up with some jabs. He's going to he's going to go in trying to find counters to that jab. A great counterer of the jab is yep. Tim Means, Joe. Yeah. And <laughs> and um and it's going to work for a minute. He's going to find some good shots. And then Morono's going to club him with a counter right hand, like just a yeah. just going to donk him with a sledgehammer overhand. That's kind of how I feel. Of course, you know the fun thing with Alex Morono is that he can fight like a perfect fight for eight minutes, yeah, and then just get Cobb once, absolutely sure. slept. But sure, it's not impossible. Tim, again, Tim Means is still really sharp, and you can—he's yeah. just such a classy striker. Yeah. Uh, he's going to hit Morono clean plenty. But it, it has been four years since, uh, no, six years, five, five years. There we go. I'm learning my time. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting there. You know, mm-hmm. ABCs, one, two, threes. Uh, it has been five years since Tim Means knocked anybody out. Yeah. And that was Ricky Rainey. And before that, it was 2016. And it was Saba Hamasi and John Howard. Yeah. So the the knockouts he, he's he's gotten a you know he submitted Tiago Alves in there too but mm-hmm. um yeah it usually it's had to be a it's had to go all the way to decision for Tim Means to win a fight lately and yeah I just he's been getting hurt so much lately and Alex Moreno is a fighter who has surprising power to hurt people he does because he does pick his spots so well. And because he is so good at timing things and coachable and knows what he's prepared for and knows, you know, like, oh, I'm prepared for this, this opening in your game. I'm going to take advantage of that. Um, he tends to hurt people. So, yep. yeah, I got to take Morono, even if it's by decision. I think it's much more likely that Tim Means gets dropped in a couple of rounds. Yeah. And even if he can rally back and win a round, loses the fight. Yep. Good fight though. It's it, that's a fun one. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, Tim Means wants to keep fighting. Like, how do you match him? This is a perfectly reasonable fight. He, he's he's capable of finding moments here. He's capable of winning it. But, um, yeah, you just can't ignore the fact that Tim Means is old. Yeah, and Alex Morono. I mean, just he is exactly the kind of dude that you know you want to see stay in the UFC for cards like this. Yeah. Because he, you know, never going to be a title winner, never going to be a, a top contender or something like that. But it's like Andre Feely, you know, mm-hmm, he's just mm-hmm. every fight he has, you're going to be like, oh, that's going to be a fun fight. Yeah. And it's, it's always interesting. Competitive. It's competitive. Exactly. Yeah. And he's been around for long enough now that it makes both sense to match him up with young prospects looking to get experience Mm-hmm. And old veterans looking for fun fights to ride off into the sunset with. Mm-hmm. 
you can really Alex Morono can be in fights all the way up and down the welterweight division. And I am going to enjoy watching him fight everyone from, you know, Tim Means and Matt Brown mm-hmm. down to, uh, you know, Ian Gary or somebody, I don't know, somebody else coming up the division. Like, yeah, him and like Andre Feely and Edson Barboza at this point And yeah. Dustin Jacoby, like these are all dudes that I don't think they're ever going to be champions, but they're good. They're interesting to watch and to talk about, and they are not boring fighters. Yep. Yeah, they're un- undercard mainstays. They they should have uh, a place of honor <laughs> in yeah. the UFC forever, though I know that won't happen. But yeah, yeah. The, these are the kind of fighters that you want to see be you. You really want to see get health benefits and like a pension. And oh, things absolutely. Like that yeah, these are what, not going to make all the money out of this. These are what undercards are made of. These guys. Means open at plus two hundred three. He's at plus one seventy eight. Tim Means, by the way, was one of those guys for his like his entire career as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Means is also absolutely that dude. Uh, Tim Means open at minus two thirty three. Currently at minus uh, two twenty or two hundred five, rather, depending on your line. Anywhere from two hundred five to two forty. All right. That brings us. That's actually going to wrap us up for the main card. Yeah. So. Uh, for those of you who aren't subscribed to our SoundCloud, subscribe or our Substack, <laughs> not SoundCloud. God, so many years of doing SoundCloud shows. For those of you who aren't subscribed to our Substack, subscribe and uh, find, otherwise find me on Twitter at the Saint Simon and Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. But for those of you that are subscribed to our Substack, we will be coming at you with a little bit of bonus content here, talking about UFC 288 in just a moment to access the bonus content of this show you must be a paid subscriber to do that go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today thank you for tuning in to this bloody elbow podcast network production Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Google Podcasts, MusicBee, RSS Radio, IMDB, and now also found in your app store on apps such as Downcast, the podcast app, iCatcher, Podcruncher, Podbean, and more. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including the Care Don't Care Podcast, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Crooklyn's Corner, the Sixth Round Retro, the Show Money Podcast, the MMA Depressed Us, exclusive fighter interviews, and the return of the MMA Bunker.